Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending Friday the 12th of March. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear us chat to legend of the stage and screen Sigrid Thornton about her performance of Homer's Iliad happening at the Fairfield Amphitheatre. And Michael Harden came in to tease us all, this time about our delicious food happening in Ballarat. Uh, Kelly Walker, writer and director of the film My Fiona, came in to chat to us ahead of it being filmed at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Uh, and also I went on a tiny plane. A tiny plane. Uh, Dr Jen, for Weird Science, walked us through the new research about our different sensitivities to the cold, which also popped up on the Breakfast's Breakdown Quiz, which finishes up the pod. Melbourne's own Triple R. Sigrid Thornton is an Australian film, television and stage legend who's set to appear in an eight-hour performance of Homer's Iliad, The Siege of Troy, this Sunday. And ahead of this exciting and epic event, the actor and Logie Award-winning actress joins us uh, on the line now. Sigrid, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. It's lovely to be here. Oh, it's so terrific to have you. Now, do you identify as legendary or iconic? or is, <laughs> how do you... Oh, none of those things. I mean, you know, if you... If I, I, I when we got on, we're, we're on Skype, and I said to the, I said to you all, I'm going to just tell the audience, the listeners, <laughs> um, that I'm sitting on my bed in my dressing gown with my dog, and I said, I hope you can't see me. We're on Skype. I can see you. <laughs> but I don't feel particularly legendary. <laughs> um, so- I think that's what makes you legendary, yeah, yeah, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> to be, you know, I, I've got an image in my head, and it, it's quite iconic. <laughs> Well, you know, it depends on iconics are sort of variably used term, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we, could be, uh, we could be going up a, a garden path. <laughs> Thank you for that beautiful introduction. What, what are you doing with Homer's Iliad? Well, well um, Stork Theatre has is a, a 35-year-old theatre, that um, theatre company, I should say, run by some um, uh, tragics of kind of classic Western literature who've been putting on um, these beautiful plays and readings for all this time and who are responsible for the building of the Fairfield Amphitheatre in in the Fairfield Park near the Boathouse. And uh, so we are putting on this reading of um, the Iliad, which is one of Homer's, the, the great Homer's most famous works, and we're reading it uh, pretty much non-stop. It's an edited version, I should say. If we if we did the whole thing, people wouldn't be able to stay for it because it probably would go on for many more hours, probably twice as many hours. <laughs> but we're reading about eight hours. I think it's edited down to about uh, seven or eight hours. And um, and uh, there are about eight of us in the cast and we're going to read it non-stop. Wow. And this is not your first time tackling Homer in this sort of format? That's right. Just pre-COVID, we... We did a show in the M Pavilion um, two years ago. Obviously, we couldn't do anything last year, but uh, we read the the Odyssey uh, in the M Pavilion, which was a an extraordinary um, experience. And I just really, as soon as Helen asked me again, I thought, well, I can't miss out on that. It's just such a sort of, it's it, it's very unusual to do anything as ambitious as this. And uh, the, the kinds of people, the the kinds of audiences who come are people who really, I mean, it, 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 they're many and varied. That's what's so exciting. People who really don't know much about Homer's work can can be um, as engaged as people who are very familiar with it. It's it's just gripping, you know, um, they're they're gripping stories and that's and they are brilliantly told by this extraordinary poet 
who we don't really know much about, actually, Homer. Um, uh, but, you know, they're written 750 BC, I think some, some of the oldest Western, uh, so-called Western literature in, um, in, that we know of. Do you have a theory on Homer? Do you think it was many people or...? Well, that's the, the you know, that's the kind of running theory. But, uh, you know, it's it's pretty similar to Shakespeare, isn't it? We're, we're never going to, perhaps we're never going to really know the answer. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I like to think it's one person. And anyway, even if it is an amalgam, we can, we can easily see it as one person. There's a classic style that he developed, which was very consistent. Um, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's, that's all we need, really need to know. The stories speak for themselves. What about COVID as a rule and its effect on the city and art? Um, do you feel uh, as, uh, that you want to contribute in some way to bring people back in? And ironically, of course, you're responsible for people leaving the city. <laughs> well, so, so they tell me. Um, yeah, well, look, I, 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 obviously I'm a, I've been an advocate for um, the strong and vigorous, you know, cultural life for the country most of my working life, which has been most of my um, acting career. So I, I feel very, um, really passionately about about the life of the arts culture in our city and our nation. And I think that COVID has had a devastating effect um, and it's been coupled with a sort of whittling down of prioritisation of the arts, I guess, um, and that's not been useful either. So the, the the combination of those two factors leads me and many others to believe that we really need to um, to do whatever we can to bring people back into theatres, um, whether they're indoors or out, um, and and back to basically to storytelling, which is which is the essential kind of medium by which we explore ourselves, discover ourselves, find curiosity, learn uh, critical thinking. Um, this is this is a fundamental kind of um, campfire uh, um, basic way of understanding. Is this one of the first performances since COVID that you'll be doing in, in front of a live audience? It is, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of lucky during the pandemic in the sense that uh, like most actors, I'm very used to layover periods. Mm. <laughs> so it felt like a long one of those, really. Uh, and I'm always busy with other projects of my own, so I, I, I kept very busy. But I felt the dearth of um, uh, of, of theatre very strongly. And, I mean, for many people, of course, theatre is not only um, a way of um, discovering new stories it's a way of socializing and meeting their friends and, and having a, a a life and so you know this the, the lack of that was and I, I don't feel it in that way myself I'm not someone who I have a, a social life outside of the theater but I really missed the um the kind of familial atmosphere mm. of Melbourne theatre companies that have been built up over so many years and and many of which are now struggling badly, the smaller ones, yeah. And, like, have you had, like, um, rehearsal periods and stuff with the other actors and what's that been like being, you know, back in the same room? Oh, it's it's been fantastic. I mean, we've only had a, a short rehearsal period for um, for the Iliad because uh, you know it's like herding cats, really, a large <laughs> cast. And uh, <laughs> but uh, we and that's what's going to be exciting about it. Actually, it's going to be um, there's something very kind of raw about just getting people together for a reading. And uh, I've done a lot of 
sort of workshop readings and things, and I always find them uh, really invigorating and exhilarating. Mm. And I think that the audience will hopefully respond to that that sense that this isn't um, this is something that we're discovering as much as they are, more or less, on the day. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying I won't be doing a simple. I haven't done a whole lot of work. On it. <laughs> <laughs> How does? It, uh, but uh, but uh, nevertheless, it's a lot. It's a, it's it's simply a reading. How does it go preparing for an, a performance like this, the, the, just the pure length of it? Do you go about it differently than you would any other play? Oh, it's very different because I'm not really, I'm not playing a particular character. We're all um, sort of embodying the, the entirety of the thing and, um, and in some ways not necessarily, um, I, I guess we're embodying various sort of focuses of the play at various times of the, of the piece, but no it's 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 quite different i'm uh, it's much more broad um and to that extent i think that there's room for a, a different kind of performance a, a different pitching of the performance if you like and i mean it, it's 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 open air as well which which i think changes the thing very much we are going to be um might because it's very difficult to the but the amphitheater is extraordinary i have to say we went there to rehearse and um i had i hadn't stood in the in the fairfield fairfield amphitheater before but i experienced what of course is the um is the jewel in the crown of amphitheaters which is that there's this central kind of little bit in the middle uh well an area in the middle of the of the theatrical space the actor's space which um which which kind of has this um echo chamber feel where Mm -hmm. the sound just shoots up to the back stalls um and you can hear your own voice and the voice of those around you incredibly clearly uh much more in in a very different way it feels like you're suddenly mic'd so that's the kind of that was the the beauty of the original design of the amphitheater which has been captured with the fairfield one nevertheless um we actually have to be quite careful of that because we are mic'd for other reasons and um we we have to be very careful that we don't get distracted by that little sweet spot and if you were a punter not on stage who would you be excited in the cast to see oh helen morse of course (laughs) (laughs) i mean i just think she's just wonderful so um yeah helen is one of my favorite actors in the country so i'm going to be really looking forward to her but it's 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 going to be i mean it's it's a varied and diverse cast and that's what's exciting you know what a great intro- reintroduction to theatre for the city and uh, what an extraordinary venue as well. Um, delightfully, absolutely delightful to be part of it. It's an eight-hour performance of Homer's Iliad, The Siege of Troy. It's this Sunday, the 14th of March, from 11am to 7pm, although you don't have to see the whole thing. It's divided into components and with breaks in between. And But you can BYO, bring a picnic and, oh. and wine. <laughs> what a perfect day. You know, bring a picnic, bring a cushion, bring a, uh, you know, it's it's rain, hail or shine really. We oh. we take what we get and it's the, in this most extraordinary little pocket uh, near the river. It's it's a beautiful place to be. Mm. It's the Fairfield Amphitheatre. For tickets and further info, you can head to stalktheatre.com.au and uh, we've been speaking to... Uh, dog owner and <laughs> bed legend, Secret of Thought. And thanks very much, Secret. Bless you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Triple R. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. Intrepid Epicurean Michael Harden joins us for Food Interlude. Hey, Michael. 
Hi, how are you going? I'm excellent. Where have you been? Well, I've been uh, I've been out into the wilds and um, went to Ballarat. <gasps> so, you know, which is almost like the equivalent of camping for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was I had some very sort of like fairly concrete preconceptions about what Ballarat was all about. You know, basically cold and bleak and somewhere that you you drove through on your way to somewhere else, and um, had been like totally pleasantly surprised about what's going up there and by the sound of it it's sort of like a it's you know been happening for a little while there's sort of food scene there but um within the last three to five years people seem to be saying that it's really blossomed and there's some really interesting stuff and it was starting it sort of felt to me a bit like um Hobart did Mm. after Mona um you know, sort of started a bit of a revolution there. Not that Ballarat's had anything new, because they've but they've got the you know superb art gallery there and the the photo photo biennale that they have there and stuff is sort of attracting that sort of art crowd as well. But it feels like you know, particularly because you've got all that like amazing Victorian architecture, and you know, and a lot of young Ballarat people that have kind of gone away you know, outside of Ballarat are all sort of coming back and starting little businesses and stuff there. So it's got that real feel that people are kind of seeing it as a, as a good place to live as well as work. And and because of the, um, you know, the difference in real estate between Melbourne and Ballarat, people can do some sort of more experimental things and sort of try their kind of do their, their businesses they always wanted to do without having too many economic constraints. So I think that always brings a sort of quite a creative um, food scene as well. So, um, yeah, including there's a, there's, a, there's a place there called Underbar, um, which is a sort of quite a fine dining sort of place, but beautiful in a little building unmarked on, in central Ballarat. And um, there's a guy there um, who is, uh, what's his name, Derek Booth, who um, used to cook at um, Per Se in New York and um, has cooked in a couple of, like, you know, pretty highfalutin kind of restaurants, and he's there, and it's like a degustation menu. Um, it's He only serves 16 people a night. He only does two nights a week. It takes, you know, you've got a book sort of three months ahead to get in there. And, um, you know, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, degustation, I've done a few of those. It's bloody delicious, like the food that he does. Like just even the starter, it was like he makes this, as you're sitting there at the bar, he brings out this cornbread that he's made. So it comes straight out of the oven oh. and he carves it up in front of you and serves it with this smoked butter with that's like got flowers and like maple syrup on it and then like a whipped sweet corn soup to go with it as well. It is um, so incredibly delicious um, that I would like it for breakfast every day. Thank you very much, Derek, if you could um, organise a little bit. That would be fantastic. Cry or, yeah, I'm or laugh or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit, just a bit hurt by yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a he does a bunch of different dishes. He does another one. Do you do you guys know Chowan Mushi? The yeah. um, it's like a Japanese, it's a savory Japanese custard oh, yeah. um, that they they that's made with dashi broth and stuff. But he does his he puts um, swimmer crab meat through it as well. Mm. So it's like this warm, delicious, savory custard with like shards of swimmer crab meat in it as well. So um, that that'd be nice for breakfast as well, wouldn't it? You'd yes, yes, yeah, yeah, it yes. would be. Like one wouldn't of those it be right nice? Now. Yeah, yeah, well, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what that's Well, that's also, either can you, Michael, because you're not in Ballarat right now. So, <laughs> take that. I <laughs> know, oh, I'm just, I'm clinging on to my memory. <laughs> but, you know, there's sort of like, but that's kind of, you know, the high end of stuff. 
in Ballarat. And there's a couple of there's a couple of really good restaurants like that, but there it's it does have a very sort of more casual sort of feel to it. And um, there's a there's a restaurant called Pancho, which um, is a sort of South American, South and Central American um, restaurant. And I have to say, I reckon it's probably the equal, if not better, than most of that style of food in Melbourne. There's the guy that's um, the guy that's running it is um, originally from Spain, but grew up in Venezuela, and he's got some people from all over Central America working in the kitchen and um, just really delicious kind of stuff. It's not sort of, it, there's a little bit of Mexican, there's some Colombian, there's Venezuelan, there's Peruvian, you know, you can get a ceviche there and stuff. But um, everything is really authentic. The flavours are really clean. And if you want to eat there, do not uh, do not miss the fish tacos. They are absolutely amazing. He does taco. this amazing sort of... Um, uh, what's it called? A pico de gallo, pico de gallo um, salsa that goes with it, made with he and he puts pineapple in his, and so it's got this kind of sweet, sour, savory thing to go with the fish. So um, that was really Yum. amazing as well. So, how long were you there? How long was I there? Yeah, not at the I went, establishment. Uh, I went three nights mm-hmm. and was just in full turbocharged glutton mode Brilliant. the whole time I was there and kind of just ate out all over. So um, there was um, there's a couple of, like, you know, really good cafes around as well. Like coffee is all over the place now in Ballarat. Like everywhere you go there's another little cafe popping up and it's pretty good quality too. And the one thing that I noticed in that, that was really good that you keep an eye out for is most of the cafes in Ballarat stock a Ballarat branded um hot chocolate which a guy that's doing there called it's called grounded pleasures and it's like this um the guy that's doing it craig mckenzie sources his um cacao from ghana and he gets vanilla from papua new guinea all from sort of um ethically sourced small grower co-ops and seriously i'm not a huge hot chocolate fan but this stuff is amazing he does this one with um pink salt and caramel hot chocolate So it's like, you know, it's really, really good. And then he flavours others with, there's one that he does with a French mint. And then his vanilla hot chocolate, he actually puts a whole vanilla bean in the packets Mm. of the hot chocolate so it infuses into the chocolate. Can you buy that elsewhere? I think he's going to have a panic attack. (laughs) (laughs) You can get it. Like he's not, they don't have a retail shop. They're going to open up a retail shop. They were sort of thinking about it, but Mm. COVID sort of closed that down. But you can get, it's all online. You can can get everything online. It's called Grounded Pleasures. It's unbelievable. Go. Cool. So um, that that's a really good thing to go yeah, for as that, well. That it's a real good thing. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, in three yeah. hours I've got a massive choice. Yeah, yeah. So there's, and you know, it's kind of like, and and with all of these things, there's, you know, there's there's a there's new breweries opened up. There's a really cool place called Auntie Jack's, which they've got their plant, they're they're, they're brewing their own beer that they only sell. At their at their place, and they do like you know they they do a smallish range of beer, but they're going to be um, expanding that. They do a really good um, vanilla porter, oh. which is um, you know sort of particularly over winter is kind of like you know it feels like the sort of the cocktail you have when you're having a beer. Michael, you uh, know that Daniel particularly loves breweries, so I don't know what you're doing now. This is very. Well, I'm just I'm just here to torture you all. <laughs> so, yeah. That's 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 where what a renaissance. Around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really good, and it's sort of like you know I went up on the train and basically just kind of strolled, mostly just strolled around. There's a couple of places I needed to get an Uber um, from, but um, most of the time I just strolled from place to place. And you know, and it's and it's a gorgeous place to to um, stroll around. You want you know you want your hat and your scarf because mm. it does get a little chilly very quickly. But um, but yeah, it's really it's like a, it's a, it's a great it's a great place. So I'm sort of I've got the pom poms out for Ballarat right now. So is there anything else here? 
it's on the list while you <laughs> well, well there's another one like any any fans of Ian Curley who um he was the chef um he's the chef behind um Kirk's wine bar and he did for years he worked at the European and that sort of stuff he um he is doing the he's sort of consulting on the food at Craig's Royal Hotel so if you want that traditional Ballarat experience Craig's is like a Victorian pleasure palace it's sort of like you might go into some kind of epileptic fit because the number of Victorian wallpapers they've got in there is sort of like he's quite quite phenomenal and um you know and it's all very sort of palm court and all of that sort of stuff but the food is that really good traditional um european kind of cooking there that's um that's pretty great as yeah. well mm. so and what about the uh ball lollies at sovereign hill they still think oh yeah yeah that's that's where <laughs> i get the first bubble so you know that's and um via cryer castle where i just <laughs> remember the raves of old all right well do you reckon you'll keep this up? Make some trips and report back. Absolutely, absolutely. Because they've got they've got a um, they've got the photo biennale coming up this year, which I'm going to go up for. When their their featured artist this year is um, Linda McCartney, and um, so they've got stuff of hers that apparently has never been seen before. So um, I'll probably you know it's that that sort of thing that I'll just jump on the train and uh, you know stay overnight, go and eat some places, go to a couple of bars. Yeah. There's a really great bar there, by the way, called the 18th Amendment that they're doing oh. some really fantastic <sighs> cocktails. So okay. um, yeah. Good so, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tap dancing for Ballarat right yeah, now. Yeah, good, good on you, job. Michael. Congratulations. <laughs> um, thanks very much. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Good on Ballarat. No uh, talk next week. Triple R. Kelly Walker is a director, writer and actor whose debut feature, My Fiona, is screening as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. And to tell about this tale of grief, love, desire and understanding, the Australian filmmaker joins us on the line now. Kelly, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you guys for having me. It's our pleasure. To be here. Um, can you uh, tell us what you're able to uh, introduce us to the story of Mafiona? Yes. So it's always so hard because I always want to like tell everything and bear my soul. Mm. But no, <laughs> watch them. But no one has to see the film. Um, basically, Mafiona is about this girl Jane. Uh, when Jane's best friend kills herself, Jane really her identity is wrapped up in Fiona her best friend and she has to kind of figure out who she is without fee and starts taking care of fee's wife and their child and the wife Gemma and her relationship kind of blossomed from the absence of fee that was like a c c minus of how i just did <laughs> <laughs> but you, you are allowed to be a soul because the, you could talk for hours about the story and it, it won't capture the cinema experience will it oh well that's very true yeah absolutely yeah it's just, i guess what it's really about it's about you know, who are you without the person that knows you the most and kind of having to re you know, identify yourself and that, and it looks different when you lose someone really close to you. Mm. And not to, I've just heard you talk about your own experience and what you brought to your own life for this story. Uh, can, can you speak to that or is that out of line? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so when I was 11 or 12, my babysitter, uh, died from suicide and that was just one of those moments where you're like, wait, the world isn't perfect and safe and, and everyone doesn't live forever and young people can die too. And um, it kind of definitely like shaped how I, I guess, a little bit untrusting to the world. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that really had a lot of Im influence on it. And uh, <laughs> ironically, I, not ironically, actually, um, Sadly, the lead in the film who plays Jane, Jeanette Moss, just died about a month ago. Mm -hmm. 
It's and just shocking. Absolutely horrible, but it's the irony is that the film is a story about losing a friend, and Jeanette yeah. was one of my closest friends. And yet, almost through the film, it's almost I'm reverse reversing getting the inspiration because the film is now taking care of me in a sense on the other side of the film, you know, the story, the film, and then my experience with losing Jeanette. So while it was the babysitter, it's now kind of Jeanette that's, yeah. yeah. Also, talk to us about, um, you know, I guess, you know, the bisexuality part of the film and, you know, uh, you talked about how there isn't a lot of representation for, you know, bisexuals in film and talk to us why that was so important to you. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess for me, growing up, I grew up, you know, I was like in high school in like the early 2000s. I didn't, there wasn't any bisexual characters that I, I could identify with, with on film. And I feel like a lot of them, not everyone, but a lot of times a bisexual was very stereotyped, uh, very stereotypical. She was kind of the odd one out or he was the odd one out. He didn't really belong anywhere. Usually the butt of the jokes. And in my experience, I'm, I love women. I love men. I love pink. I love blue. I don't have, Hmm. I'm not a stereotype and I didn't want, I didn't want the story to be a story about bisexuality, but I wanted the story to be a story about grief while also looking at bisexuality inside that experience. And the idea that sometimes sexuality is birthed from a circumstance. It's, it's, it's just about loving someone that is you're connecting with. And that just takes away the idea of men or women, it's, it no longer is relative at that point. Um, and that's how my relationships have been with, with men and women. It wasn't like today I date women. It was, it was yeah. the person I was, <laughs> I was attracted to, you know, their, their soul. And it's just, it's, it's so simple when we just get down to the bottom of it all, I feel, but yeah. we, you know, we love to, I, I love to overanalyze everything. And I'm one of those list makers, the pros and cons of every situation. And that, <laughs> fails, grab the tarot cards out, you know, <laughs> hold the pendulum up. <laughs> yes, no. Uh, what about the what you've captured with Jeanette and the rest of the cast as well? Um, you know, what, what was it like on the set? Uh, it, looks, it looks from the stills that I've seen that there are a lot of, lot of women behind the scenes as well. What, what sort of environment did you cultivate? Yeah, we were so lucky. We had such a wonderful... Um, blend of men and women and we didn't it was important to me to be surrounded with women but it was also important to you know hire the right person for the for Mm. the job um but our dp our director of photography laura jansen she was absolutely incredible and i think i owe a lot of the energy that was created on set through her because she just created this very safe calm i was over in the corner (laughs) smoking my (laughs) nicotine (laughs) inhaler like slightly like going crazy and she was just so chill (laughs) our ad avery also smoking her nicotine thing with me but very calming um we we were really lucky because everyone on set had other experienced firsthand or secondhand um someone that had died from suicide so everyone showed up with a real sensitive understanding to the material and while it's a really heavy film there was so much love and happiness happening behind behind the scenes. And even the scenes that are a little bit more intense, like those would be our whisper days. And, and it wasn't like we had an announce. It was a whisper day. Everyone would just be whispering naturally. Um, it was, it was, it was only a 15 day shoot, but I, 
it was mm. my, it was just absolutely incredible. Mm. I would do it again tomorrow. A lot of people say after their first that you'll never want to do a second. I'm like, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, you, you're based in the US now, uh, but you grew up in Australia. Is that your? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Brisbane. Oh, so, yeah. I was living there until 17. Amazing. So tell us about, like, obviously living in the U.S. comes with more opportunities um, and is it, is it sad that you have to move away from Australia to get those opportunities? You know, it's so interesting because I think, I think if it was today and I was leaving or making that choice today, I mm. think I would stay in Australia. I don't think the same choice applies. But back then, it, my, I'm a dual citizen, so my aunt is in the industry in, in L.A., and I, it made more sense to make that leap, mm. knowing I had her and, and I had her network of people, and, um, and I didn't really know anyone in Sydney or Melbourne. And, but, yeah, I'll tell you, like, I'm not going to – it sucked leaving home so young with no friends. My, just my aunt was my only family. My brothers eventually moved over, but it was a really, I guess, very, like, hollow I call it a hollow time because I just didn't have a lot of love um, yet. And I do miss that Aussie, what do we call it? That's that, that, that thing that we have, that energy inside our souls that is just so, puts a smile on your face. And, and I, I miss that so much. And I can only imagine what creating in that environment would feel like. The she'll that be no right, mate. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just go, God, um, <laughs> Because even though I have an American accent, people go, well, you're not really Australian. It's like, and it's actually very similar to the bisexual thing. Well, you're not really bi. You're married to a man. Well, you're not really Australian. You have an American accent. Mm. Labeled, labeled, labeled. And it's like, <laughs> my heart is Aussie. <laughs> yeah. Well, to underscore the point, can you say where you are right now? <laughs> I am in Oklahoma City, USA, at a medical marijuana dispensary owned by my brother called... The Great Barrier Reefer. <laughs> and it's amazing. We can't and I don't tell know why you. I live in LA when I could be here. Yeah, we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. That's, that's <laughs> isn't it? Oh my God. And I had to tell all the stoners out there, I'm like, you guys, can you just chill for a second? I'm going to jump on a science interview. <laughs> Pass me the blunt when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we haven't. The, the film's very funny as well. It's very charming, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, we don't want to get overwhelmed by the grief here. There's a lot of layers going yeah. on. Yeah, and I think that's true to life. I think anyone that's experienced a, a great loss will undeniably say humor does not, it's not paused when you're going through bad times. It's still everywhere, and it might not be as easy to be seen, but I, at least in my experiences, yeah. I have had such a balance of this is a terrible moment but that funny thing did happen and that is I'm just gonna have to be okay with that <laughs> yeah precisely <laughs> like they can coexist mm. together exactly uh so my Fiona is screening as part of the Melbourne Queer Film Festival which is on from March 11 to March 21 uh, screenings will be at Cinema Nova on Saturday 13th of March and the Jam Factory Sunday 14th of March but for more details head to mqff.com.au My Fiona is the name of the film and uh, we've been fortunate to chat to writer and director Kelly Walker thanks heaps Kelly thank you guys so much I loved this Triple R on FM digital online via the app 
Uh, you know, I was in Adelaide last week. Um, on the weekend, I flew to Coonawarra. <gasps> mm. Oh, God, estate. the hits just don't stop. Yeah, Penley Estate uh, Winery to do a gig there. Um, I know. I'm just yeah, living, living my best life. Uh, this is a gig that I was supposed to do. It was I was booked in to do it during that the circuit breaker, mm. and of course they went. Given all of the acts were from Victoria, from Melbourne, they went. Oh, maybe we might go ahead with this. Yep. Also, because we couldn't, we couldn't go. They did. They had a really great relationship with um, Tourism South Australia, and so initially, before the circuit breaker happened, we all had exemptions to go and do the gig. Um, and then it was like, oh yeah, best best not to. Um, so it got rescheduled to the the weekend. Um, and then a few different people were coming, but we were instead of flying from Melbourne, we were flying from Adelaide. I was very excited about this gig because um, flying out of Melbourne, uh, we were supposed to be like it was going to be on a nine seater plane, <laughs> and I was so excited yeah. about going on a tiny plane um, to to Coonawarra. I was like, oh, this is going to be the best. So I was obviously I was disappointed about missing another week, but I was. Mostly, I was disappointed about not being able to go on a tiny plane. Yeah, it's like you know, was pretty excited about it. Um, and then so when it got rescheduled, it was like, yeah, you fly out of Adelaide, and I was like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be like a Rex flight, like mm. a, you know, whatever. And I was just like, oh, it's still, you know, I'm very excited to be doing the gig, whatever. Very grateful for the opportunity. Very grateful for the opportunity. Absolutely. But still, there's a part of me that was like, "Oh, I want to go on the tiny plane." And then, like the a few days before the gig, um, there was a, a new person got added to the lineup, um, and it was someone that had never done one of these gigs before, and they were obviously very excited about it. It was Amy Hetherington from Darwin, who we interviewed on here a few years ago. Uh, not the same Amy Hetherington from the Big Issue; they get mixed up all the time, but. Um, and so she had posted, she goes, oh, guys, this is the best, you know, um, I've been booked to do this gig and it's a private chartered flight. And I was like, hang on a, hang on a second, is it? And then, like, because I just didn't look into, I just assumed that flying out of Adelaide Airport meant that we were flying on a commercial flight. Yeah. And then, so I just, I didn't look into it. Because I didn't, I didn't want to look into it. I didn't want to be disappointed. Mm. And then, so when she posted, I'm like, oh, hang on a second. And then I got more details and they're like, no, nah, it's not Adelaide Airport, but you've got to go to the this section of Adelaide Airport where all the tiny planes are. I'm like, oh, my God. <gasps> so I got to go on a tiny plane. Yay. I got to go on a bloody tiny plane and it was the best. It was a 12-seater. Um, and, of course, I sat right up the front. <laughs> I sat right behind the pilot. Um, and I said to him, because there's a seat next to him, and I said, can I sit there? And he goes, nah. <laughs> does, does that count as one of the seats? No. When you say 12 seats, oh. like is there a cabin crew person oh, yeah, back with you? No, no, it's just the pilot. He does all the safety, mm. he, you know, and he tells me how to open the door because I was sitting right next to the door. Um, Square. Yeah. Oh, no, shut up. <laughs> um, and, but he said, I couldn't sit when because he had his bag and stuff. And he goes, No, I've got to put my stuff. And I'm like, All right. And then you get like tiny little, um, you get a little bottle of water and some snacks. Yeah. Oh, really? How long yeah. was the flight? 
like 55 minutes. Oh, <laughs> but you got a, there's a little muesli bar and um, some, yeah, anyway, I didn't get into it. I didn't have any. I was too excited. Um, and it was, the flight was, you know, really smooth and it was just amazing. I had the best time. Mm. Um, and then, uh, I was gonna say, oh, and then on the flight back though, because he said, when I said, can I sit at the front? And he said, oh, no, nah, but on the way back you can. <gasps> and so throughout the gig, because, you know, the gig's at a winery, so they there's food and wine available. You know, the, the green room is well stocked. But I was like, oh, no, I better keep myself tidy. In case the pilot needs me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just more so that I was scared that if I got too drunk that he wouldn't let me sit up the front. Which is good. He yeah. Shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so... I just was very conscious of, you know, not not drinking. I'm like, oh, I'll have a taste of this spot. Oh, sacrifice. Nice. Yeah. Went to Kunawara. Yeah. And put I still – oh, yeah, yeah. I had a couple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was, we were there for a few hours, but I just kind of went – like, I was just conscious of going, actually, I won't, I won't have one just yet. I'll wait for a bit in case, you know. Yeah. And it, because the whole time I was scared that, he, that something else would come and he goes, oh, no, nah, you can't. You can't sit up the front. It'll be and but then I get there and I was like, "Can I sit up there?" And he goes, "Yeah, you can oh. sit up the front." And I got to sit next to the pilot for the flight home, and it was just one of the best things I've ever done. Really? Yeah, I was so I was just like, "Oh mate," I was just like, "Thanks so much for letting me do this." He goes, "Yeah, no problem." Did you it's chat? Fine. Can you talk during? Uh, I probably, but it was you know it was it was kind of a bit loud. Oh, yeah. So, and I was also scared that I'd um. I'd be too annoying. Yeah. So I didn't even look at him. I was too scared to look at him. So I was just looking out the window the whole time and just like taking it a bit, not, you know, trying not to nerd out too much. But and is he like someone who picks up a hitchhiker who maybe wants a bit of a distraction oh, or? Oh, now I feel bad. <laughs> no, so, I think he just wanted to, you know, he was polite enough and, and stuff. And, and it was, were you wearing headphones so you could talk with a? No, no headphones. Um, but yeah, and it was just oh, it was like to see the clouds go above your head, wow. like not just to the side. I was like, I can look up and watch. It was just incredible. And then watching it, um, you know, come in and and then seeing the the landing strip and going, oh, there's the runway and coming into land. And it was just yeah. And also, once it's up in the air, it's. He doesn't do anything. It's yeah. all like the hands are on the controls the whole time. Like cruise control. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And he just – like he obviously does all these checks all the time. So he'd just be looking at knobs and changing things and, and whatnot. But otherwise he just kind of sits there and checks his phone. Wow. Because we said we have to turn it funny. He goes, no, nah, don't worry about it. That's amazing. Why do you think he wouldn't let you go on the way there but it was okay on the way back? Because he had his bag on on the seat. He had, oh. Yeah, there was no room. So what and to he his goes, bag? I'll put he goes he put it in up uh, in there. So put it in stove. See any wildlife away. or other planes in the air or Oh no but bird poo on the windscreen. Ooh, oh, that must have been early. Yeah, yeah. maybe. And also, like uh, along the um along the mirror the window on the side, like tiny little bugs. Like yeah. all these bugs that are like windscreen bugs. It's like this is amazing. I think the journey. Like all these little, on. you know, silly little details. Um, but it was just 
Oh man, I loved it. It was so cool. There was something else I was going to say about it, but uh, keep asking questions. Well, come to I, me. I'm sad for the kids because remember when you used mm. to go up to the cockpit? You could always go on during a flight. Yeah. yeah. And now you've got to wait to be invited on the second way back on a private flight. Mm. I know. I'm so lucky. You are lucky. That's fantastic. Oh, that's right. There was a similar flight. Um, another one of these winery gigs where there were a tiny plane. Nath Valvo, another comic, was on the flight um, and it was a really bumpy ride Mm. and he's not good with flying Mm. and he, um, you know, struggled a lot. Bit of a panic attack on the flight because it was, you know, proper turbulence. Like turbulence so much so that... Like they were hitting their heads on the roof of the plane. Like oh it was, God! Yeah. Oh yeah. no, I'd hate that. Oh. But and the whole time he had someone else sitting behind him, just going, "It's okay. Just think of it like you know, um, you know, when you're driving along the road and you hit a pothole, and so there's a bit of a bump. Um, but you know, it's the same thing up here, except up here there's nothing to hit. Like you, you know, you're in a car, you might swerve and hit a tree or something, but up. Doesn't matter up here. You just hit the pole road, you know, and off you go. And he said that it cured him of his fear of flying because he sat there and he was sitting behind the pilot, and he just saw that the pilot didn't bat an eyelid the whole time and was just like, "Oh well, if he's fine, yeah, then what? What have I got to be worried? You know, yeah. What a helpful message from that person to say. Very that. helpful, isn't it? Whereas usually the pilots, you know. Out of sight, out, out of, of mind, and because you, in your head, you think like they're in there going, oh, yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything's like. <laughs> <laughs> The infamously warm-hearted Dr. Jen's here for Weird Science. Morning, Dr. Jen. Good morning, except I'm one of those people who always feels the cold. Oh. Ask my family. I, I feel cold all the time. I'm sitting here with my fleecy jacket. I've got a granny rug on my lap. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Thermostatically incompatible. Is that what's going on in your house? Yeah, probably. Well, my son and I are always the first ones up and he wanders around the house in boxer shorts and I wander around in long pants, Ugg boots, a fleece jumper and, you know, sometimes even a beanie. So Wow. Okay. <laughs> is it a, just as a qu- very quick aside, um, <laughs> is, there ever, is there a point where wandering around in boxer shorts is not okay? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I feel like that's a bit of a personal it question. It is a personal question. Yeah. I was just thinking about for my own. So You're anyway, just ignore it. It's all right, Daniel. I'm never wandering around just in boxes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but do you guys feel the cold? Would you identify as, as people who who do feel the cold? I think more than like more than my partner, but there are definitely I do yeah. definitely have friends who are always wearing more layers than me as well. Yeah. I oh, think, yeah, good. I that's... think I'm in the middle. Yeah. Like, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty normal, and you're abnormal. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jess, I think I already knew that, so <laughs> that's okay. And Daniel, do you do you spend your life wandering around in boxer shorts? I, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always wearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried. I'm wor- not to get too personally. I'm worried. I'm a sweater. I think oh. I'm a sweater, and I'm worried that putting on moisturizer exacerbates the sweat. Is that possible? <laughs> Can you do oh. a segment on clogged? Pause and <laughs> anyway, uh, I feel yeah, like that is a whole nother segment. <laughs> exactly. 
so, so what is the what is the deal with temperature and how we receive it? Well, that's, I sort of wanted to do a bit of reading because I've, I've wondered why I always feel the cold. And it turns out people have been making observations for a long time about the fact that humans feel temperature differently. The famous Charles Darwin observed when he was right down at the bottom of South America at Tierra del Fuego, he uh, made an observation that there was a local woman breastfeeding her baby who'd come out to have a look at the ship and was just standing there. And he observed that there was sleet falling on her naked body and her baby's newborn, you know, pretty much a newborn baby's body and neither of them seemed the slightest bit perturbed by having sleet landing on them which uh, that doesn't appeal to me Mm. having skin on sleet yes (laughs) the milk could be cold (laughs) well maybe that maybe that's what was going on but anyway so so what's going on when we feel cold essentially your skin has all of these nerves and your those nerves are sending messages to your brain about the temperature of your skin so the nerves are essentially detecting what the temperature on your skin is but not just the temperature, also the change in temperature on your skin. Because think about it, last time you went swimming somewhere that was fairly cool, perhaps Port Phillip Bay this summer, when you first started getting into the water, it felt absolutely freezing. But after a while, you kind of adjusted and you're like, oh, yeah, I could cope with this for a little while. So that's because the nerves are saying that there's been a massive change in temperature from the air temperature to the water temperature, but now we're kind of used to it and it doesn't feel so bad. But basically those nerves are there to warn us that something might be going on that could cause our core body temperature to drop. And you don't want your core body temperature to drop too far because if it does, you're at risk of developing hypothermia, which obviously can kill you. So it's a really important system that the nerves in our skin are saying, hang on, it's starting to feel a bit cold here. So you might get goosebumps, you might start to shiver, so your muscles are trying to generate heat. And eventually you might go, oh, actually I need to curl up in a ball or I need to put more clothes on. So all of that's pretty obvious but it doesn't really explain why some people feel colder than others so the general story is that we've always thought women tend to feel colder in the same environment as men and this could be because of um, the hormone estrogen which definitely has an effect on temperature but also just because women have more fat under their skin and that fat insulates us in a good way but also means that our skin tends to be at a lower temperature so the the age-old thing of women always feel colder there is actually some biological evidence that that's true Oh, and does that apply to, like, when you talk about having fat under the skin, would that apply to people regardless of sex? You know, if like if there's a thin person and a, do you know what I mean? Or is that just purely about men and women? Yeah, so basically women tend to always have more body fat than men mm. and we're not talking about being overweight, we're just talking about biologically women tend to carry more fat. So that's that's part of the reason. But but I think one of the one of the other really good arguments for why we tend to feel the cold more is just that we've become really unaccustomed to dealing with cold weather because we use heaters, we have really high quality clothing. I mean, when was the last time you were actually out in an environment and you felt really cold? And there wasn't anything you could do about it. Oh, the other night in Adelaide when it got cold. <laughs> was that night no jumper? It was Ooh. horrible. Oh, Jess, didn't your mum always tell you to pack a jumper? Yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to my mum. I'm my own woman. <laughs> 
My mum always joked that a jumper is what a child puts on when the mother's feeling cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty true. But anyway, the reason why I really wanted to talk about this topic was because there's a new paper that just came out a couple of weeks ago, research that was done by some Australians and some Swedes and some Lithuanians, and they came out with a whole new answer to the question about why some people feel the cold more than others, and they found a genetic basis for that. Now, they're not saying that this is the only answer. There are going to be other factors as well, like how often you are exposed to the cold, your gender, all sorts of things. But this study looked at um, a particular gene in your muscle. So it's called skeletal muscle, which is the muscle that's responsible for moving all your body parts. And there's a particular gene. You don't need to know what it's called, but for anyone who's listening who's interested, it's the ACTN3 gene. And about one in five people have a particular variant of this gene. And if you have that particular variant, so one in five people, you lack a particular muscle protein. Again, don't worry what it's what it's called. And, and lacking this, this protein, so this particular variant became more and more common as humans migrated out of Africa and moved into colder climates. But no one's ever really known why before. But this study in Lithuania, it was only on men at this stage, so we have to do more research on women. But the study in Lithuania basically put men, 42 men, into really cold water, so 14-degree water, and they had to stay there for 120 minutes or until their core body temperature dropped to 35.5, whichever came first. And these men had been divided into two groups based on which variant of the gene they had. And it turned out that the people who had this particular variant that became more common as humans migrated into colder climates, they were way better at coping with the cold water. 70% of them stayed were able to stay in the water for two hours, whereas people with a different genetic variant, it was only 30% of them that could stay in the cold water. So that's quite a big difference. And, and the people who could stay in the water for longer than men who could stay in the water for longer they shivered much less so they were much better at conserving energy mm. in cold temperatures so maybe people like me who feel the cold have this particular genetic variant which means that I'm not so good at maintaining my core body temperature and I shiver a lot when I get cold and I feel colder and don't put me in 14 degree water for two hours please so okay. it's not the sort of thing you can build up a tolerance to if it's a genetic thing that's it right well, I guess they're arguing that it's, you know, this is not the, the sole answer, like most things in science. There's lots of different things, you know, having an effect. So I'm, I'm sure you can build up tolerance to cold water, no question. You can definitely get used to it. But this underlying genetic effect is something that we haven't really understood before. And it's really interesting for understanding how our muscles have evolved to cope with living in different climates. Isn't that amazing? So it's not a character flaw. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes I still feel like it. Someone, res someone responded to a tweet I sent out yesterday about this segment saying that she's got friends who give her a really hard time for being cold and she used the hashtag bullying and I thought, oh, oh that's a bit harsh. Well, I hope those friends are listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not her fault. She just has a different genetic variant to use. So leave yeah. her alone. And those odd bods who swim at like 4.30am in freezing temperatures, they're just genetically different. <laughs> Can we swim, swim back around to that swimming in the in cold waters, um, yeah. and how you kind of get used to it? Do you get used to it quicker? The quicker you put your head under, does that make a difference? 
Well, I don't know, because I think that's the part of your head that hurts the most. I mean, that's sorry, the part of your body that hurts the most when you go in, when you go into cold water. So I don't know. I reckon the sooner you submerge your head in cold water, the sooner you just feel like you've got to get out of there. This oh. is me based on, on oh. a swim in Antarctica, where the rest of my body adjusted quite well to two degree water and there were icebergs. And I'm like, I'm so tough. And I thought, oh, I'll put my head under just so I can say I can and oh, that I have. And once I did that, I was really cold oh you were done oh, that's oh, pretty cold see, i it? found it well i've been swimming the antarctic but <laughs> John Paul Phillip. yeah beating cold water i found that as soon as i get my head under the yeah it's the easier it is to go oh i'm out now off we go mm. i think we but need to do an experiment jazz i think we need maybe, to get a whole lot of people to go out and test it because it's very subjective isn't it i mean mm. it's really easy to and say maybe it, makes it depends on how cold the water is as well mm. Yeah, totally. When you when went you to Antarctica, headache. Jen, mm. did you was it BYO towel or were they provided? No, thank goodness they were provided. Okay, were they big? <laughs> yeah, you know they were towel sized towels. Imagine but getting out of Antarctic pleasant. water in there. It's the towel. So you, someone used your towel and it's all wet. <laughs> oh, no, oh, that would be really not oh, nice. It's not, man. I, I had a dry towel. I feel very blessed. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Oh, what a journey. <laughs> Um, Dr. Jen, just always amazing. Thanks heaps. See ya. Thanks, Bye. Jen. Let's do the breakfast is breakdown quiz. The breakfast is breakdown quiz. It's happening right now. Here we are. Welcome to the Breakfast's Breakdown Quiz. So so happy that you're um, able to join us here this morning after a one-week hiatus. Um, but we're back, baby. Mm. Um, champions are here. Montsbeard, Daniel Birch, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome one, welcome all. Um, Daniel, you've um, you've popped over the road and got yourself a nice fresh muffin. It's over now. I've pulverised it. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like eating like a duck. Yeah. <laughs> It's finished. It's so history. <laughs> but it was still warm. No one. It was warm, but I'm appalled at myself. But I did it so that I was full of sugar and verve. Yeah, because you were you you were worried about fading, and being too you know not on the ball, ready yeah. to answer some questions about what's been happening on the show this week. Mm. And mine, you're always, always on the ball. Thank you. Yep. So all fighting fit, ready to go. <laughs> no muffins for you. We all thought you were going to share that muffin, but no, no, nah. <laughs> it's not really good. It's... Uh, so let's start with, um, your buzzer noises for this week. <gasps> no, uh, oh, bland. Imagine that. <laughs> 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 I reckon you should go with that. No. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Blam. Okay. <laughs> Blam. <laughs> Not all of it. Um, oh. wah, wah. Okay. These are fun. Oh, your buzzer is the sound of a wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, like a low Psych yourself out. <laughs> what fun. All right. Here we go. It's time for the Breakfast's Breakdown Quiz. Who will win? Will it be you at home? Will it be one of our contestants here? Or will it be me? Question number one. <clears throat> Kelly Walker, writer and director of the film My Fiona, screening at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, chatted to us from a... Wah, wah. 
Oh, get out. Yep. Great Barrier Reef. Oh. oh, my God. Ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding. God damn it. Jeez, you you jumped the gun there on what I was going to ask and you took a risk and it has paid off. off. There's one point to Mon. The rest of the question was, uh, she chatted to us from a medical marijuana dispensary. What was the name of that dispensary? In Oklahoma. Oklahoma City, correct. Mm. I was almost going to make that the question. Yeah. But you didn't. Oh, well. Do you know what I could have done, though? This is how nice I could have... At the last minute, change the question to make you get it wrong. But How cruel that would be. Yeah, it would be cruel, but I didn't do it. So, question number two: <clears throat> Michael Harden took us on a gourmet journey through Ballarat. Uh, what did he talk about that I was most excited about? Blam. Mm. Banana bread. No. Oh. Hot chocolate. No. He talked about that though. He talked about hot chocolates. There's one. Uh, uh, oh, 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 fish tacos. Oh, that's right. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you had a few goes at that, but sure, I will give myself a point for that one. Um, question number three: uh, Women tend to feel the cold more than men. Doctor Jen gave us two possible reasons for that. What are they? Blam. Yep. Yeah. Here's your buzzer. Protein. Oh, come on. It's a protein. Is, that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, we got to – that's the latest research. But in general speaking terms, there's two things. Like women tend to feel the colder. The fat. Yep. And they're weak. <laughs> no, it's a joke. I don't know. Oh, well, that isn't <laughs> – that is a minus 50 points for Daniel. Um, let's see if you can catch up from there. Um, why do women feel the cold? Because they're fat and weak. Oh, well, well, the correct answer, well, you know, you, you almost got there. We tend to carry more, more fat, so yeah. therefore more insulated. Therefore, the skin feels the cold more. But also... Um, Estrogen is the other. That's right. Not, not that we're fat and weak. Anyway, good luck for the rest of the quiz. Oh, wait, just try that buzzer once more. Yeah, I can't hear him. <laughs> Question number four. Uh, what was my post-show ritual Blame. in Adelaide? You would go on a carnival ride. Yeah, correct. There you go. You're at minus 49. Uh, Question number five. Um, (laughs) Hayley reviewed uh, Wellington Paranormal, Mm. the TV show, which is a spin-off of what film? What we do in the shadows. Correct. Which is the film um, that uh, I went to see at the movies with Kath on one of our first dates. Came out in 2014. What a great memory. Yeah. Anyway, it was nice. Was it scary? No, it's good fun. It's funny. Yeah. It was per- or was it perfect. scary to be on the date? Yeah, oh, a bit yeah. of both. A bit of both. But it was, you know, it's a good first date film. Like, oh. You know my brother-in-law, <laughs> first date, first date, they're married now, mm. with my sister, kept a movie stub. Oh, that's Aww. romantic. Isn't it? And what then movie? got it framed on the, I don't know, probably Star Trek or some shit. 
Oh, I've still got a piece of driftwood from the first time I went swimming with my partner. Anyway. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Kath has a, has a stick that got stuck in her full drive once. So yeah, anyway, that's not that's romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the quiz. Uh, Mon's on three points. Daniel is on minus forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, here we go. Question number six. Many times as a child, and who knows, maybe as an adult, many times as well, uh, Mon would wish for what ability? Womp womp. Yeah. That I could do what I could underwater on land. Yeah. That's a good one. Thank you. Like do somersaults in slow motion. Mm. What fun. <laughs> I'm into it. Um, uh, question number seven. Uh, according to Peter Luger Steakhouse, what can you do to make your establishment? What can you do to Blah. make your establishment to Blah. add a touch of class? You would put uh, Madame Tussauds mannequins there, <gasps> John yep. Ham, Al Roker. Yep, correct. Very good. Um, <clears throat> and also Audrey Hepburn sit there and have a state with Audrey. <laughs> uh, question number eight: Vanessa Holker chatted robots this week. The word robot has mm. been around for a hundred years. And is inspired by a Czech word meaning Blam. what? Slave. Correct. Oh, You're catching up, Daniel. <laughs> Only tens you might, of You're minus 47 <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, here we go. Uh, I did a gig at a winery in mm. Kunawara on the weekend and was careful not to drink too much. How come? Wah, wah. Yep. Because you were um, going to sit next to the pilot on the way home on yep. the tiny plane. wanted to keep myself tidy for that in case he said no drunk people up the front. Uh, here we go. Mon's on five. Daniel, you're on minus 47. Mm. So I wonder if I didn't take all those points off you, whether it would be, how close it would be. Oh, this we'll never know. Yeah. No, I think it'd be, Mon would be just in front and okay. maybe. This would be the tie. This would be the tie. <laughs> Question number 10. Uh, name three things that Nat has bought from Facebook Marketplace. Oh. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. A uh, wall rug. Yep. Dining chairs. You need a piece that appreciates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a table. Oh, I think I made up the last one. Do you want to have a crack at this, Mon? She also bought a pair of sneakers. Yep. Coffee that, table. That, oh, coffee table is what yeah. I was after. Also, just before you do that, mm. <laughs> someone, on a listener, purchased a single battery off Marketplace, drove 20 minutes to pick it up when I could have just gone to the shops behind my house. Sing- yeah, but how much did you pay for it? I want to know what, <laughs> I just really want to know what type of battery it was. <laughs> yeah, what'd you need it for? <laughs> anyway, Mon wins the quiz. All right. Yay! Actually, women, women, <laughs> women. Yeah. Up yours, patriarchy. Yeah. Get to the march. <laughs> Wrap yourselves around Parliament House. Fat with <laughs> Women win. Thanks for playing. See you next week. <laughs>listening to a podcast of the best bits of the breakfasters which is the monday to friday breakfast show broadcast live on triple r from melbourne australia feel free to get in touch with us via facebook twitter instagram or via the triple r website